Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Part two of our series called Reasonable Doubt. If you're taking medicine, it's 1033, and let's dive in. If you were not here last week, what we talked about was this idea that like every person, even if you grew up in church, I want to say even especially if you grew up in church, you have some type of moment in your life where doubt creeps in. And if you grew up in church, when it creeps in, you go into panic mode a little bit. You're like, oh my God. You, you have a little bit like start breathing deep. Like, have I wasted my whole life? Is this all a fairy tale? Is this all uh, not real? And so if you grew up in church, there's this moment where you either watch that YouTube video, listen to that college professor. Uh, you listen to uh, somebody have a conversation and all of a sudden they present you with questions that you don't know the answers to. And you're like, wait a minute, maybe this is, well, you know, you start really kind of questioning some of the stuff that you believe. And many times it's because you had a, a childhood faith and you thought that was good enough, but then you became an adult and you realize that my childhood faith doesn't answer adult questions. You ever felt like that before? You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought those two and two by two on the boat, I mean, that was cute. And then you realize, well, actually, yeah, there was a flood and everybody died. So, you know, there's just like, wait a minute. And that creates questions. And if you're not prepared, I'll put it this way, what I want us to do is a move from childlike faith to like a grown-up mature faith. And then even if you didn't grow up in church, you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, do I really believe this? Um, if, you, if you, for example, like I know people that what happens is this, is, is um, you was up in the club and you saw a girl and she was so cute and she got your attention and then all of a sudden you, you just fell head over heels and then you found out later she was a Christian and then she made you come to church, which is like, why was she in the club anyway? But, but that's neither here nor there. But, but now you're going to church because your spouse or your husband's a believer and because his family grew up in church now that you're married and you have kids, he's like, hey, we got to go back to church. And now, so you're going to church, even though you don't know that you totally believe this stuff and you have all these questions and they're all, I want to say they're reasonable. You ought to ask good questions. And so it's so important that we ask these questions. And last week we said this, and this is so important, that so many people in America are now checking off a box. They're either maybe an atheist or an agnostic, or a lot of them, this is the new box that everybody's starting to check, is nothing. Like, I'm just nothing. I don't believe in anything. Like, I don't know that I believe this, believe that. I really don't want to have a conversation about it. And we said last week was this, is that you need to be careful because when you check the box, nothing, it sounds like you're saying nothing, but by moving away from God, you're actually moving towards something else. And a world without God has major ramifications. There's implications. There's things that like come along with that. And last week we decided that to, to, to live in a world without God, is, it's kind of depressing. It, it's certainly kind of odd. There's some, put it this way, there's some unsettling realities if we live in a world where God does not exist. It, but just because something is unsettling doesn't mean it's not true, Right? That's why we said like the Raiders right now are better than the Niners. That's unsettling, but it's true. So just because something's unsettling, that's not an argument for something else. It's just saying, hey, this is kind of unsettling. Maybe we should think about this. And so today what I want to do is, is kind of actually give you something. Because last week I just made a case for what atheism was and what the, maybe those ramifications were. And you need to wrestle with those. But today I'll actually make a case for like why I believe in God. And again, if you're, if you're ready for deep Bible study, this is not your week. Get back in here uh, uh, in next week, maybe a little bit. And then after that, we'll get into a brand new series where we get back into Bible teaching. But the reason why I'm not going to talk from the Bible today is because whenever I had my first conversations with people who didn't believe in God, I began my answer with, well, the Bible says, and the first thing they said was, well, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't believe in the Bible. So what I want to do is make a case for why I think it's very, very possible 
that God exists. Like, I think that's there. I think it's not only possible, I actually think it's like plausible and reasonable. Like the idea of God is a reasonable idea. And then I, I want to even make a case that I think it's probable that God exists. And, 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 and then we'll just kind of just start there. Does that, does that make sense? We'll just kind of move down this chain of thought because I know what you're thinking. Like, this is what, this is what you think. You're like, Todd, you're a pastor. Of course you believe in God. Duh. You get paid to believe in God. This is your job. And, and other people, like, I remember having conversations about why I believe in God. They said, well, you just believe in God because you grew up a Christian. That's why you believe in God. And I'm not going to lie. That's not unfair for them to say that. If you grew up in church, there's a good chance or likelihood that you'll just kind of buy into the belief that you were raised on. That's totally fair. But that doesn't make it true, right? That just means that that's the way that I was raised. You know, one of the other reasons why people believe in God is personal experience, right? Like at some point, like you had a moment, you saw the light, you had an epiphany, you had something radical going on in your life. Maybe you weren't raised a Christian, but something captured your heart, captured your attention, gave you that wow factor. And because of personal experience, you believe in God now, but that doesn't make it true either, right? Because we know other people that have really weird crazy personal experiences and we're like no 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 we 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 give people like you straitjackets sometimes to protect yourself from yourself so so having a personal experience that doesn't make something true right you know one of the interesting things about belief and faith is this this is something that studies have found is that you're more likely to believe in something listen to this if somebody that you respect and admire believes in it that looking at other people that you respect and admire actually moves you towards their direction in terms of what they believe. Isn't that interesting? Like that just moves you in a direction. So, but what I want to get you to think is this, is, you know, you want to ask this question, but is it true? Because what you ought to be, whether you believe or don't believe, you ought to be on a journey towards like what's true. True is that which best defines reality. What's true? Because you don't want to be, because you ever met people who don't care what logical answers you have? They're already dead set before the conversation ever begins. You don't want to be like that, right? That's just, that, that's foolishness to be preset in your thoughts before the conversation ever takes place. What we ought to be on is this journey towards like what is true and what is that which best defines reality. And today I'll just give you some ideas on why I believe in God and why I think God actually best defines the world that we live in. Are you ready? Okay, like put your glasses on. You remember when the teacher would be like, okay, put your thinking caps on. Because I heard last week that I was a little bit too nerdy, and I was, so I'm going to be, just see, I'm going to be nerdy again today. So just going to bear with me for nerdiness, because that's just, that's just what it is. Are you ready? So here's why I believe in God. Number one is this. I think it's totally uh, plausible and reasonable and possible and maybe even probable that God exists for this reason to start with. Number one is this, and Kid 479 uh, needs your help. So here's, here's what I believe. I actually think that God is the best explanation for the existence of the universe, so like, at some point as a human being, you have to ask yourself this question, do I exist? You ever asked that before? Like, wait, am I real or is this the matrix? No, 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 are you real? Like it, some of y'all thought that before, huh? Are, do, do you exist? And if you come to the conclusion that you exist, then you live in a, a world, right? And so then the world exists because you couldn't exist if there's a world around you. So you exist, right? But then you got to ask questions like this. Why does anything exist at all? Why does something exist rather than nothing exists? Why is anything here at all? Clearly, we are all here that there is an existence to the universe. And, and the reason why this is so important is because you have to, as an atheist, believe at some point that something came from nothing, right? We talked about that last week, that something came from nothing. Once there was nothing, and then there was something. Now, we've never observed that in any type of 
science or history. We've never observed something coming from nothing. We've never seen that before, but at some point you believe that something came from nothing, if you're an atheist, at least if you're a good one, if you're a tr- true, diehard atheist. But as a, as a believer in God, what I would say is, is that something came from something. That just makes more sense to me, that something came from something. As a matter of fact, William Lane Craig said it like this. It was kind of an interesting thought. He says, from nothing comes nothing. This is a Christian apologist. He goes, to believe that something comes from nothing is worse than believing in magic. He said, when you have a magician pull a rabbit out of a hat, you at least have a magician. And you got a hat. And it's just, this was just his take on why it's plausible to believe that something comes from something. Now, now something interesting happened. I don't know if you know this or not, but science has, has caught up in the last 50 to 100 years. And they believe something now that they used to not believe. Prior to about uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the, people just had the assumption that the universe was eternal. It just always has been. It always was. We don't know why. We don't have an explanation. It just always was. And then what happened was is this really smart dude named Einstein came along, and he came up with this theory of relativity. And funny enough, when he tells his own story, when he discovers his own theory and he believes it to be true, he's actually upset with himself because he'd always believed the universe was eternal, and he knew that the beginning of a universe, meaning that if the universe had a starting point, that it implied the fact that God exists and he was mad about it, and he actually fudged his numbers. This is his own account. He fudged his numbers. And other guys found his stuff, came along after him, and like, wait a minute, you fudged that number. And he's like, yeah, I fudged the number. So what they did was they started discovering that because of the theory of relativity, that basically the universe had a singular starting point. Like Edward Hubble figured this out too in a different way, not through, not through physics, but he figured it out because remember the Hubble telescope? That's where that name comes from is Edward Hubble. And what he figured out was is that the universe was still expanding. Well, basically anything that's expanding at some point in the past was retracting. If anything retracts, you can't have an eternal past existence because if you, if you retract long enough, you just get to a single point. So you can't go into the past eternally. Um, so, so that happened. And then like other people came along, like, like the second law of thermodynamics, there's more nerdy stuff right there. The second law of thermodynamics just basically says that there's a constant state of energy in the universe and it's being used up. Well, anytime you have, put a thing about this, if you have a bank account and it only has a constant amount of money, but then you start spending that money, eventually you'll be what? You'll be broke. And, and so what, what they're in essence saying is that the energy in the universe was constant, but we're using it all up. So eventually it's going to run out. But anything that will eventually run out can't have an eternal past because it would have already run out. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So my point in saying that is, is that science actually figured out that, wait a minute. So what, what Christians believe for this, this crazy idea that like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what, what Christians always believed was that God created everything and it had a singular starting point at some point. And that's what science actually figured out. And so the reason why this is so important, this was a huge breakthrough in, in scientific discovery, but it also kind of like wrecked certain people's thoughts and they had to come up with other answers maybe as to why, because a lot of people didn't want to believe that God existed. They just didn't want to. This, even Einstein said, I didn't, I didn't want to. So they had to come up with other theories as to maybe why, but what they knew that it implied was that if the universe had a starting point, that time, that's the funny thing, time had a starting point, matter and space, they all had the starting point. Does that make sense? So when, when I tell you that I think it's reasonable or plausible for you to have faith in God, let me, let me just back up and define something just in case you, you mistake me. When I say you need to have faith, I don't mean that I'm waiting on you to have a euphoric epiphany and moment where you're like, ah, I get it now. You may never have that. So if you're waiting on that, don't hold your breath. You might not ever have that. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about faith. 
faith. I'm talking about you looking at the evidence and making a decision. And when I talk about God, I'm not talking about like this God in the universe like Zeus or Thor or maybe that's a bad example now with all the Marvel stuff out there right now. But I'm not talking about like, like, like a, a, the, the sun god Ra or this god Osiris. Or I'm, not, I'm not talking about one of those. I'm talking about something so, so, so different, so above and beyond what we're talking about. Because think about this. If the universe had a starting point where all space, time, and material began, then whatever created it had to be before and outside of time. So you have to be timeless. And you had to be before and outside of material. So you have to be immaterial. And then you'd have to be before and outside of space. So you'd have to be spaceless. Does that make sense? And like, think about this. The world is, is obviously complex, right? So whoever like came up with this would have to be incredibly intelligent. And then to create anything at all, you'd have to be what? super powerful. Like, how do you create something like this? So I guess my point is when I talk about God, I don't think I'm talking about like some little God or a God or, or, no, this is what I'm talking about. So like, this is, this is what you're left with is this, is that in the beginning, there was a timeless, immaterial, incredibly powerful, incredibly intelligent, uncaused first cause. Now, I, I would say that that's the way that the authors of the Bible describe God. And so I think that because you exist, and at some point you should ask, why does something exist rather than nothing? And does something really come from nothing? But what if something came from something, and that something had to be something like this, and this is what the Bible people describe God as like, then it just becomes this like, okay, interesting. Maybe God is totally a reasonable idea. Now, that's just one thought. Now, does that prove that God exists? No, I mean, maybe there's something else weird going on. I wasn't there, I didn't see it. But that just gives you this idea that, that it could, and maybe it does, and maybe it should. Now, here's the second reason I believe in God. I'm only gonna work through like three or four ideas. But the second idea, reason I, I think you can believe in God is this. Number two is this, is that God is the best explanation for the existence of fine-tuning in the universe. And by fine-tuning, I just mean this. It's like the complexity and the design and the uniqueness of the universe. So the way the universe is made, I don't know if you know this, like, do you, have you ever heard of the Goldilocks Zone? Have you ever heard of this? We live in the Goldilocks zone. Did y'all know that? Remember Goldilocks? She went and ate porridge, and one was too hot, and one was too cold, one was just... Are y'all with me? Yeah. I'm like tripping. I'm like, did it, was I the only one that heard this as a kid? And so, so, so what they're saying is we live in the Goldilocks zone, because how I many you know like the earth is positioned just far away from the sun to where it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. We don't burn up, right? And we don't freeze to death. So we're in this like perfect slide in kind of zoop right there. It's this perfect place where human life can exist. And you're like, wow, that's cool, but that doesn't really prove anything. But like, just so you know, this idea of a Goldilocks zone, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's all kinds of these weird things in science. And what scientists have determined is, is that all of these different elements and things, it's almost as if there's a dial and you had to tune it just perfectly. But not just one dial, like lots of dials had to be tuned so perfectly. Or if you threw one of them, just one of them off just a little bit, the universe would not be able to exist or it would not be able to sustain any kind of life. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example, like gravitational pull. This is the gravitational constant in the universe. And just so you know, the dial on this one has to be set to one click out of 10 to the 120th power. So, all right, remember nerdy, just hang with me, Okay. So what is 10 to the 120th power? It's 10 with 120 zeros. But we're lazy and we don't want to write 120 zeros. So we just stick a little 120 right there. And that's how we come up to that. And so, so that's what the, so like if you took the gravitational constant of the universe, if you pulled that off the dial, just one or two, it would, it wouldn't be able to exist. Here's another one, the expansion rate of the universe. The expansion rate of the universe, do we do 120 twice? 
So the first one was wrong. The first one is 1 in 10 to the 60th. The second one is 1 in 10 to the 120th. Those are different numbers. We wrote those in the screen wrong. So no big deal. Nobody cared. Nobody was like checking my math, I bet. Nobody was like, wait, wait a minute. I'm going to Google that. So you can look this stuff up later. I don't care. So, so the expansion rate of the universe has to be just so. Now, these look like big numbers, don't they? The gravitational was 10 to the 60. Expansion rate's 10 to the 120. So like, let me, I'm, I'm going to give you a number that'll put this in perspective. Because that seems like a weird big number, but like, how do you know? What does that really compare to? So think about this. Do you know how many number of seconds in the history of the universe there are? Of course not. Nobody is. So the number of seconds in the history of the universe is 10 to the 18th power, right? So like, let's, let's, so, all right. Here's 10 with 18 zeros behind it, right? So this would be like one in 10 to the 18th power would be one in this. This is just the number of seconds of the universe, but we're talking about other things like, like, like here's this other weird one that I don't even want to try to explain, although I've looked it up and read on it, but it's this. Listen, listen, this is Roger Penrose. He's a physicist from Oxford. He says the odds of the initial low entropy state, which is basically um, the amount of complexity at the moment of the Big Bang at the start of all things. That's the low entropy state. So the odds of the initial low entropy state of the early universe obtaining by chance alone is this. It's one in 10 to the 120, that's how you write that. So it's, it's, it's like 1 in 10 to the 123rd. I feel like, you ever watch Dumb and Dumber? Of course you have, it's a great movie. So Dumb and Dumber, you remember Dumb and Dumber? Remember Dumb and Dumber where he goes to the girl, he finally finds her in, in, in Aspen or wherever they're at? Samsonite was way off. Anyway, so he goes to her, and she's this really pretty girl, and, and, and he says, do you remember what he says? He goes, what are the chances of a girl like me and a guy like you falling in love. Yeah, he totally messes it up. And she goes, they're not good. It's not good. And he's like, like one in a hundred? And she goes, no, more like one in a million. And you would think he would be discouraged, but what does he say? He goes, so you're saying there's a chance, right? I feel like so what you're saying is the gravitational constant and the low entropy and weird nerdy science thing and all these dials and it's just, because the, cause the w- w- what is the alternative? The alternative is, is we just got really lucky that in the crapshoot of life, we got really, really lucky. So you're saying there's a chance. These numbers are beyond like impossible, right? Like, these are really not bad numbers. If, put it this way, I was, I was playing poker not too long ago. I know you're like judging me. Some of y'all are judging me. I was playing poker. And I almost won, but the Lord didn't see fit. So I, I was playing cards, and, and I, I thought about this. I thought, how awesome would it be if I could just catch great cards all the time? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? But I thought about these numbers when I was thinking about this. I thought, how cool would it be if you could, like, in five-card draw, just deal me four aces every time? Can you imagine I'm sitting at the table with, like, these dudes from our church, and we're all hanging out, and I get four aces? You'd be mad at me, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be at church right now. You would have maybe hit me. You'd have stormed out. You'd have been really, really mad if I'd have caught four aces. Now, to catch four aces is, is like one in 54,000. That's what that is. But imagine me catching like five hands in a row of four aces. And then y'all all got up to like beat me up. And then I stop and I stop and I stop and I say, whoa, 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 guys, guys. I just got really, really lucky. That's all that is. That's the alternative. I'm just saying 
I believe in God, and I think it's reasonable that God exists. I think it's plausible that God exists. I think when you start building these arguments, at some point you might reach like a probability that God exists. And I haven't even cracked open the Bible and said, Jesus loves me, this I know. So I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about it's, it's, a, it's a logical or reasonable idea to look at the design and complexity of the universe because we would all do that, right? We would look, if you ever like walked into the forest and you found a watch saying there on the ground, you wouldn't say, wow, I bet that came from nothing. And now there's something. And I bet that just randomly appeared by luck. I bet all those materials just, just like somebody threw them together and they accidentally turned into a wall. You wouldn't do that because you're a common sense person. And so my, my point is this. Listen to what Stephen Hawking said. Stephen Hawking said this. This is a guy that doesn't even believe in God. And he said this. He said, the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make life possible or to make possible the development of life. So the idea is this, is at some point you have to believe that there's something here because you exist and that something is incredibly complex and it certainly looks designed and there's a lot going on. And so at some point you would say that because there's complexity in design, there must be a designer, right? That's what you would assume. If you saw something designed, you would say there's a designer. Do you know that in your DNA, that one strand of DNA has about 40,000 pages worth of code in it? Now, if you ever found code, you would assume that there's a, a programmer. I was going to say a coder, but you guys totally like made me look better there. You would just assume. So that's just all I'm saying. I think that when you look at the complexity and the design and the fine-tuning of the universe, that it makes reasonable and logical and plausible sense that God does indeed exist. Now, here's another one, because C.S. Lewis said something really interesting. He said that like science is difficult because you can't observe everything, right? So you can't observe the start of the universe. You weren't there. Nobody was there. You can't observe everything in science. And so the thing that you can actually observe the most is human beings. So if there was, if there was a creator, you could actually just look at creation or, or what was created that you could observe and you would actually analyze that the most. And by analyzing that the most, you would come to a conclusion about that creator or if there was a creator. And this is, this is the third point is this, is that ultimately, I skipped a page early. It, if it is possible that God exists, or I'm saying God is the best possible explanation for the existence of objective moral values. Now, does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? No? Okay. Have you ever been playing a game and somebody cheated? And you said the words, that's not fair. You ever called shotgun and your older sibling took the front seat anyway? What did you say? That's not fair. And you are mad about it. And I've seen kids that don't even really know and have like, you know, like these incredible moral thoughts and ideas yet. They know at the playground level that some junk is just not fair, right? And so we, we, we say things like, that's not fair. You ever told, something, uh, told someone that something they did was wrong? What you're doing is wrong. You ever looked at your kid and been like, oh, you're such a good boy. You're such a good girl. Where do you get these notions of wrong and good and fair. You ever looked at like atrocities in the world and think, no, racism is wrong. Child slavery is wrong. There is something wrong about that. Where did you get that idea from? Where did you get the idea? You ever, you ever look at other people and say, this is what you ought to do? Where did you get the idea of ought? Where did that ought? Ought. You oughta. Where did you get that from? Now, if you, were, if you were a scientist, you would say, well, that's just an evolutionary feature that helped the advancement of the species. And I would just disagree with that premise based on logic because here's the reality of it. 
Human beings don't follow that moral code. Isn't that clear by observation that we don't actually follow the moral code? We just know that exists, we know what's fair, and we know what you ought to do. If it were evolutionary, we would actually do it. You see the difference? We just know that we ought to do it. There's an ought to within us. And then you could even make arguments that if it was based on evolutionary ideas, well, let's be honest, we should get rid of certain groups of people that don't contribute to society. We should get rid of people that, that either can't help themselves or, or have become applied or become a drain on society. We should just eliminate them. We, like there's certain evolutionary ideas that, that we should just go ahead and adopt and say, hey, in the survival of the fittest, because you're basically in an evolutionary world or an atheistic world, but you're just a highly evolved animal. Like certain things are, are, are just not immoral in the animal kingdom. Are they? Like, like I got a cat, right? You ever seen a cat kill a mouse? We never once looked at that cat and said, how dare you? The cat was just being a cat. We don't judge the cat for being a cat. But yet you look at other human beings and judge them according to a scale of right and wrong, of justice and injustice, of fair and unfair, and you say you ought. Where'd you get that from? Because you, cause, cause here's, here's and cause this, is, this is what's so crazy. Look at this. The atheistic worldview, this is what they believe. Uh, morality is just a biological adaptation. Ethics is illusionary. Morality is just an aid to survival and reproduction, and any deeper meaning is illusionary. And my point would be this, is everything within you says, no, that's not true. Because see, in the atheistic worldview, here's what you need to know. If you live your life like Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa, it's a push. It doesn't matter. There's no difference. Because in an atheistic worldview where there is no God, there is no objective, meaning something else. You know what difference is subjective and objective is this. Subjective means I'm the subject. I get to choose what's right and wrong. Objective means what right and wrong actually does exist in and of itself, separate from me. So, so when, you're, when you're living in an atheistic worldview, what you have to say is, well, I think that's wrong. It's subjective, meaning it's your, it's your preference. So yes, if I come into your home and steal all of your favorite things, you're going to be mad at me. You're going to say that's not fair, that's not unjust, you're going to call the cops, you might shoot me. But on atheistic grounds, I would say, well, look, this is just my preference. I would prefer to have your stuff. <laughs> and you would prefer for me not to have your stuff. It's really the same as saying, I like chocolate and you like vanilla. It's just preference. No, I didn't say that. Atheistic scientists and philosophers say that. Because, and, and here, now listen to me. If you don't believe in God, please, 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 I'm not trying to be offensive here. I'm not saying that you can't be good without God. Because I know what's going on in your mind. Right? Like, oh, I know a bunch of atheists, they don't believe in God, and they're way better and nicer than other Christians are, and you're right. <laughs> That's sad, but true. I'm not saying you can't be good without God. I'm saying that there is no good without God. It doesn't exist. There is no absolute goodness. Because you have to go to something outside of yourself and above yourself to get to something that's truly objective. This is why God says, no, stealing is wrong, murder is wrong, these things are wrong. And so when we get that gauge, and this is what C.S. Lewis is saying, he goes, look at the human being. We don't actually live this way, but we're all fully aware of it, and we have an instinct about us that says this is what you ought to do. This is what is hardwired into us. And so this is the premise of the argument is this, is that every law has a lawgiver. Is that fair? If there's a law, at some point somebody was a lawgiver. Well, if you believe that there truly is a moral law, then the premise just goes to say that there is a moral law giver. 
And the only person that could actually be a moral lawgiver is God. Outside of that, it's just subjective. It's whatever you think or what your preference would be. So if there is such a thing, if you look at certain things and say, no, child uh, slavery, sex trafficking is evil. You got to admit that comes from somewhere. And the only place, if you trace it back far enough, is the only logical conclusion is that God does indeed exist. And that's where you got that from, whether you knew it or not. Now, again, that's just an idea that I want you to chew on and think about. Why I believe that God does indeed exist. But let's, let's close here and we'll, we'll kind of start to wrap up here. Because this is where I want to go. What I would say to you is not only do I believe that God makes sense of the existence of the universe, that he makes sense of the fine-tuning of the universe, that he makes sense of the instincts that you and I have about having a moral law, I would say at one point, hold on, Joey, because you're, you're jumping, don't, don't soothe me out yet. No, stay there, stay close. But like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, I'm just saying this is my last point. I feel like I'm at like the Oscars and my speech went too long. And they just started playing music to get rid of me. It's 11.01, people. I got time. Okay, so, okay, so, so, so track with me, and we'll kind of wrap up here. This, this would be my last point. And, and again, there's, there's, there's actually a book that I read just not too recently. It's like 20, 20 different arguments for the existence of God. So we're not doing that today. Praise God. So I'm just giving you like a few that I think are important and profound and interesting you need to think about. But the last one I would give you to, to think about is just simply this. Uh, and we'll call it number four. If it is possible that God exists, if it is possible, if, if, if it is possible that God exists, then the most logical thing I can do is discover who God is. That's just, a, that's just logic, and, I, and I'll, I'll prove to you my logic. Einstein actually said that. Remember I told you that Einstein fudged his number because he wouldn't want to believe in God? After he finally came to grips with the fact that he did believe in God, this is what he said. He said, to know how God created the world, I am not interested in this or that phenomenon in this spectrum, or in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thought, the rest are details. So what he determined was this, is that if God truly exists, then I should spend my life trying to discover who God is. That would be a logical conclusion, and, and here's why. So, so let's just talk about the idea of like, let's say you're out there and you don't believe in God, and you're, you're like, this is dumb, Todd, and you've wasted my time. And um, here, Here's what I would get you to say. If you're going to make a truth claim like God does not exist, that's a truth claim. God does not exist. Every time you make a truth claim, then you've got to support that. Like, you've got to be able to back that up. If I get up and say, I can, I, see, here's the deal. I can't prove to you that God exists today. I can't. I can't just do a thing, and I can't. I can't. But you can't either, though. There's nothing in you that says, I know that God exists. As a matter of fact, <laughs> philosophers and debates have, like, ruined certain atheists because they'll get up and say, no, I know that God doesn't exist. And they say, well, how do you know that? Because the only way you could know that is if you knew all things. And the only person that would know all things would be God. Therefore, you're apparently God. Um, so it's because it's just, it's just not rational for you to say, I know that God doesn't exist. That would be an arrogant, foolish statement that you can't prove and you have no certainty of. Does that make sense? Is that, that's just fair. But I'm saying the same thing on my side too. As a matter of fact, look what David Berlinski, David Berlinski is an atheistic philosopher. And when this new movement of new atheists came out, guys like Hitchens and Dawkins and all these different guys, he was irritated with them. And he goes, I don't believe like, like the Christians believe, but I'm irritated with you guys. And this is, this is what he said. I want you to listen to how profound this statement is. This comes from... A, one of the leading physicists in the world, David Berlinski. He goes, has anyone provided proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have our sciences explained why the, our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as it is not religious thought? Close enough. 
Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy in the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. This is an atheistic philosopher, one of the leading physicists in the world. He goes, no, this is interesting because this is him taking a dig. This is why he wrote the book. His book is called The Devil's Delusion. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Yeah, dead on. I didn't say that. You email him. I didn't say this stuff. I just quoting him. Now, the point in saying this is this, is that, is that, remember I said, I think you can lead yourself down a conclusion to say, is it possible that God exists? Well, if you know, if you can't prove that God doesn't exist, then you have to say it is possible that God does exist. Is it, is it plausible that God exists? Meaning, is it a reasonable idea? Of course it is. Is there a timeless, immaterial, powerful, intelligent being that, that designed what seems to be complex in design? Yeah, that's right. I'm not asking you to believe in, in a round square or a married bachelor or some type of illogical idea. God is a completely rational, logical idea. Then when you start stacking every argument on top of itself, when you start looking at the numbers, when you start looking at the complexity, when you start looking at the chances, you know when you start stacking, not one argument itself proves the existence of God, but when you start stacking them on top of each other over and over and over again, you eventually come to the conclusion that, yeah, it's, 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 it's very probable even now maybe that God exists. But even if you're here today and you say, I don't believe that it's probable. I think you're making a reach and I've got explanations. for. I, I, I hear what you're saying. What percentage then do you need? What percentage do you need? That's what I would ask myself. What percentage do I need to feel confident that it's worth exploring who God is? Because here's what Pascal said. There's a guy named, um, named Blaise Pascal who lived back in the 1600s. And I'm gonna tell you what his theory was. He was a mathematician. He wrote all kinds. He was the inventor of the, the, the calculator. <laughs> That's how smart that guy was, right? This guy was a genius in mathematics. He was ahead of his time. He was the leader in his field, incredible mathematician. But he was also um, a, a Christian man and a theist. And what he did was, is he had tons of, of papers and work and breakthroughs in the area of probability. And so what he had done was, is he had come up with this idea that to him, because he's, how many know math people are just logical? It's just two plus two is four. And it just, we're not gonna, it's not an emotional thing. It's just a logical thing. And he came up with his own logical conclusion as why believing God was the most logical thing in the world. And, his, and he came up with this idea, and I won't read it because he wrote in the 1600s, and so he just talks funny. So I'll give you like my version of Pascal. But he created this scenario, and it was just really, really simple. If before you I presented two doors, and you have to play this game, by, by the way, you don't have any chance of getting out of it. You have to play the game. He said, if I just presented you two doors, and each door represented belief in God or the rejection of the belief in God, that's what the two doors represent. And so if you reject God and you choose that door, then on the other side of that door, if you're, if you're right and God didn't exist, on the other side of that door, you know what you get? Nothing. Because nothing still exists, right? After the, if you're an atheist and God's not real and you die, then what exists? Nothing. So, so if you're right and atheism is right, then nothing happens to you in the end. But if you're wrong... There's something you miss. There's some type of eternal reward or bliss or, or something, right? We would even say that, 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 that the Bible speaks of punishment in whatever degree you might buy into that. Let's say you're just separated from the presence of God for eternity. That sounds pretty awful. That's some level of, of punishment. So my point would be this. On this door, you either get nothing 
or you miss out on everything. You, you experience total loss if you choose this door. Now, this door, if you choose to believe in God and at least pursue who God is, then on this door, if you're wrong, you know what you get? Nothing. Because if God's not real, at the end of it, it's still just nothing. But, but, let's say you were right. Let's say God was real. Then on the other side of this door is incredible reward. So if I took you to Vegas and we just, we just ran this a million times, unless you were really drunk, if I just ran this a million times and I presented you the two doors and I said, on this door, you either get nothing or nothing, but on this door, you either get nothing or incredible reward. Which door do you choose? You'd be stupid not to. It would be foolish. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to insult anybody if you don't believe, but like, I'm just giving you like a logical conclusion. If I told you over here, you either get nothing or you get nothing, and over here, you either get nothing or reward, what would you choose? It would be a no-brainer. You would always at least give yourself the opportunity or the chance for reward. You would. It's just the most, unless you just hate yourself, you would, that would be the most logical conclusion. That was what Pascal's argument in essence was, is that if you were making a wager and a bet or having to pick doors or having to choose, you would always choose. And he's not saying this because I hear atheistic listen to Pascal's wager and they try to refute it, but they always have to make up stuff to refute it. And what they usually make up is like ideas that, that aren't, Pascal's not even presenting. Because he's saying, oh, well, I'll just choose this door. But what kind of God is that, that I can just say, well, I believe in God, and he'll just let me in. But like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an all-knowing God. So if God knows your heart, then that's an irrelevant argument. You're just making up nonsense. And they, they, there's other arguments that they make. But the, just, just go back to the simple logic of it. What would you choose? So to me, again, is it possible that God exists? Yeah, of course. Is it a plausible idea? Yeah, of course. Is it even probable that God exists, at least to some legitimate percentage? We would say, yeah, or you got really, really, really lucky. And at the end of the day, the most logical conclusion is at least this. It's not that you can fake your way towards God. I would just say, then at least be open to it. And what I would say and dare you to do is this. Start pursuing it. At least seek to know. At least seek to understand. I would give it my best shot at saying, hey, I want to try and know. Just like Albert Einstein, I think this could be the most important thing. C.S. Lewis said it like this. If the gospel is, is true, it's of the utmost importance. If it's not true, it's of no importance. But the gospel can't be of just some importance. It's, it's not. It's either like the most important thing or it's nothing. And I'm telling you, if it's possible, you should dive in. You should look at it. And here's what I want to close with is this, is if you ever felt like, well, I never had a feeling. I never had a moment. I never had a goosebump. I never shed a tear. I never had an epiphany. I never went through any of that stuff. I just want you to know like, that's okay. You don't have to. Because at the end of the day, here's what I want you to see is that faith is a decision to trust. It's simply a decision to move in a direction and say, God, I don't know everything, and there's a lot of confusion. I still got a lot of questions, but I'm just going to move in your direction, and I'm just going to choose to move in this direction and trust that maybe, just maybe, that God, you'll somehow show or reveal yourself to me, and I'm going to keep moving this direction until I absolutely can't anymore. Because faith is not a feeling. Faith does not come because you need to turn off your mind. I'm not saying you need to just be stupid and you don't need to think anymore. You just need to have faith. No, that's ridiculous. We believe based on logical conclusions and evidence. Now, my first personal experience is I didn't need that. But later in life, when I started to question things, I needed legitimate answers. I needed to take my childhood faith and let some maturity grow and figure out what are the real answers to the universe, to the world. Are there answers to my reasonable doubts? And what I found was this. The answer was, yeah. And you might even have a question for me today that I can't answer. But here's the deal. It doesn't mean that there's not an answer. It just means I don't know what it is. There is an answer. 
And what all I want you to do is, is kind of get rid of the old ideas that faith is an epiphany or faith is a feeling or faith is, I just have to ignore all the evidence. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying to do is this, is when you weigh out everything we talked about today, you ought to at least start to move in that direction for your own sake. Let's pray this morning. So I know that this sermon is not for everybody. And I know that for some of you are like, I already believe, but really this is just to hopefully just reinforce your faith. It's to encourage your faith. It's to support your faith. It's to let you know that your faith has like logic and evidence and reason. It's not ridiculousness. I hope you walk away with like bolstered faith. For some of you, you had faith already and what you were just looking for was like, man, I just wanted some answers. Like people asked me questions and I didn't know how to answer it. And I just was looking for a little bit more answers. I hope, I hope you got that today. But really the, the people I care about the most is if you were legitimately struggling with your faith, I hope and pray that today you take a move. You just begin to move in a new direction that you make a decision to say, okay, that's legit. I need to move. I don't need to move away from God because I don't have all my questions answered. I actually need to move towards God in hope that I will discover those answers. And so that's my prayer for you today. And so, Father, I pray for all these people listening to the sound of my voice. God, I pray that, above all, their heart would be open to you, that their mind would be open to you, that they wouldn't sit back with this staunch, prideful rejection, this kind of preconceived, preset, I won't believe, I don't care what they say. God, I, I pray that you'd remove that from their heart. And God, just I pray that they would begin to move towards you. That's all they need to do is make a move towards you, God. And I believe that in response, you'll make a move towards them. And so, God, I pray that you would begin to meet them where they're at, that you'd begin to reveal yourself to them in whatever unique ways. God, you know their hearts, you know their minds, you know their life, you know their scenarios. God, I pray that you would reach out to them, Lord. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.